Welcome to Christendom College. My name is Adam Wilson, and I serve as the Director of Donor Engagement here at the college. For those of us, for those of you who are new to Christendom, we're so happy to have you here today as part of our Christendom family. We welcome today all the members of our President's Council, as well as our Principal Society. Your contributions to support Christendom College are essential to keeping this work and the work of Christendom College going into the future. Through our Christendom's Principles Initiative, we are sharing with the wider world some of the wisdom and the treasures of truth that students receive here at Christendom College. Through your support, we are helping more people to know, love, and share the truth through Christendom College. It's my pleasure today to introduce to you Dr. Joseph Brudo. Dr. Brudo is Associate Professor of Political Science, Chairman of the Political Science and Economics Department, and Director of the Advanced Studies Program at Christendom College. He earned his BA in Political Science and Philosophy from the University of Notre Dame, and his MA and PhD in Political Science from the University of Notre Dame. At Christendom, Dr. Bruto teaches courses on the history of political thought, Catholic social doctrine, and ancient and political philosophy, as well as liberal democracy. We hope that you enjoy today's live lecture. Thank you. Thank you, Adam. And let me add my greetings to all of those of you who are joining us um, this afternoon. So the topic of my lecture this afternoon is going to be the political philosopher Niccolo Machiavelli. Now, in surveying my options for a topic for this lecture, there are many other political philosophers I could have chosen to focus upon. But I chose to focus on Machiavelli because his influence in many ways is still felt in our Western culture more than 500 years after he published his most famous writings. So here's what I purport to do in the short time we have this afternoon. I would like to start by giving you a brief introduction to Machiavelli the man and a little introduction to his historical context. Secondly, I'm going to say something about what it is in the history of Western thought that Machiavelli is responding to. And third and finally, I will conclude um, with a brief discussion of what Machiavelli's response in fact is. So let's get started. Niccolo Machiavelli was born in Florence in 1469, and he died in 1527. So he was born a little over 200 years after the death of Thomas Aquinas, and a little less than 25 years before Columbus discovers the so-called New World. Now, when I teach Machiavelli to my students here at Christendom, I often joke with them that I find myself strangely jealous of the man. Now, this is not because I agree with what Machiavelli says or teaches, but rather because Machiavelli really is a true Renaissance man. He lives at a time when it is still possible for a human being to know a little bit about basically everything. This afternoon, I'm going to speak of Machiavelli, the political philosopher, but it might interest you to know that Machiavelli was also a historian, and he was also a literary figure. He wrote a number of plays which were popular even in his own time. But 
as I said, today I'm going to focus on Machiavelli, the political philosopher. And in order to do that well in a short amount of time, I am going to look simply at one of Machiavelli's writings, what happens to be, I think, his most famous writing. This is his short work called The Prince. Now, we know from Machiavelli's private correspondence that he had completed the text of The Prince no later than the year 1513. However, we also know that the first edition of The Prince was not published until 1530, three years after Machiavelli's death. And the fact that the work was not published until after Machiavelli's death should tell you something about the innovative ideas that are discussed in the work and the fear that someone like Machiavelli would have had for teaching some of the ideas and concepts that are to be found in the work. The work is written ostensibly as a long treatise which aims to give advice to future political rulers, to future princes who may take over a principality, a kingdom, or another political community. Before I get into the text and ideas and concepts of the prince itself, I think it would be helpful for you to have some historical and philosophical context for what it is that Machiavelli is doing. So in order to give you that context, we're going to travel back almost 2,000 years before Machiavelli writes The Prince to the world of ancient Greece. It is in ancient Greece that Western philosophy as we know it today was born with the figures of Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle. And the questions that these ancient Greek philosophers were concerned with are the same questions that many philosophers still occupy themselves with today. For purposes of my discussion of Machiavelli, I'm going to focus simply on two of those questions. Two questions that, as you will see, are related to one another. The first question is, what is the point and purpose of human life? A big question, as it were, the million-dollar question, but an important question nonetheless. And second, and relatedly, the question of what is the point and purpose of the political community? So let's start with that first question. It may surprise you to know, it may surprise you to learn that figures all the way back in the ancient Greek world, extending up through the period of the Incarnation and well into the Middle Ages, answered my first question in more or less the same way. Whether we're speaking of a pagan philosopher like Aristotle who lived and taught three centuries before the Incarnation, or the great Christian philosopher and theologian, St. Thomas Aquinas. Similar answers were given to the question, what is the point and purpose of human life? And most of these folks would answer that question as follows. The point and purpose of human life is to make oneself good, to make oneself truly happy. 
Now, don't misunderstand them when they give that as an answer. To say that they believe the purpose of human life is to make oneself truly happy is not to say that happiness is the same as just feeling good or experiencing pleasure in the moment. Rather, happiness is something that is understood as something that perfects our nature. We are supposed to grow in virtuous habits, acquiring those habits over the course of our lives, learning how to act and how to interact with others through the examples and teachers that we find in our lives with the ultimate purpose or end goal of making ourselves truly good or truly happy. And whether that concept of goodness or happiness was understood in a pagan context or in a Christian one, these philosophers give the same answer, roughly the same answer, to the question, what is the point and purpose of human life? So briefly, let's move to my second question. What is the point and the purpose of the political community? Well, it shouldn't surprise you to learn that these folks are going to answer that second question in a manner similar to the way in which they answered the first. If the purpose of human life is to make myself good as an individual, the purpose of our political or social or communal lives together is to achieve or attain what political philosophy has referred to as the common good, that which is good for all persons living in common as members of a particular community. Now, thankfully, for most of the history of Western philosophy, figuring out how to live a good life as an individual or as a community of individuals was something that we had a lot of practice at doing. We weren't simply making up our ideas of goodness or happiness out of thin air. But as I said a few moments ago, these philosophers understood goodness or happiness as that which conforms to our nature whether the nature that is implanted in us, as the pagans would say, or the human nature given to us by God, as the Christians would say. What is important for our purposes is that human life was aimed at living up to, fulfilling, and ultimately perfecting our nature, whether at the individual or at the communal level. So, with that background out of the way, let me move on to Machiavelli's writings and the way in which Machiavelli offers his own unique response to these two particular questions. Machiavelli is living at the end of the 15th and beginning of the 16th century at a time of great upheaval in the Western world. To name just a few important events that are taking place around Machiavelli's life. We have the Enlightenment movement in philosophy, the Protestant Reformation in Christianity, and the Scientific Revolution. 
these events and others are causing human beings to call into question the received wisdom of the ages, whether that be the teachings of the pagan philosophers or the teachings of the church. And Machiavelli is himself one of those who questions received wisdom and authority. When he writes his work, The Prince, he aims to answer my initial two questions in ways that we will see are very different from how the tradition had answered these questions up to this point. So let's talk about the text of The Prince itself. When I teach this class to my students at Christendom, I spend many hours going through various passages of Machiavelli's text, and I won't have the time to do that in my brief lecture this afternoon. Instead, I hope to point you to a couple of important themes and maybe look at one or two important passages, one or two important paragraphs from Machiavelli's writing that will help to elucidate and explain his ideas. So the first theme that I want to examine, the first theme that is present all throughout the prince is the theme of what I am going to call appearance versus reality. When we think of the Greeks or we think of the Christians, they were concerned first and foremost with reality. What is a human being? What is human nature? What is goodness? What is happiness? They were seeking the real answers to those questions. Machiavelli tells us that he is less concerned with reality or the fact of the matter and more concerned with appearance. So, let me illustrate that by means of an example. When you study the philosophy of the ancient Greeks or of the Christians of the medieval world, you will see them say that one thing that a human being must do in order to grow in goodness and happiness is to become virtuous. And they have all different explanations for what virtue is and how it is that a human being goes about learning to live a virtuous life. Machiavelli initially seems to be teaching us the same thing. You can see in the very early chapters of The Prince, Machiavelli stressed the importance of virtue. But when you read the words on the page, it doesn't take you very long to figure out that what Machiavelli understands virtue to be is very different than what a Christian might understand virtue to be. As Christians, we might think of virtue as having to do with things like prudence and justice and temperance. Machiavelli, by contrast, says, it is good to appear as if one is just or prudent or temperate, but in reality, it might be better for a person, for a prince, for a political ruler to be the opposite of those things. Now, why might Machiavelli say that? Is he just sort of fed up 
with 2,000 years of Western philosophy, or is there a deeper impulse behind this advice? And as you might suspect, I'm going to argue that there is a deeper impulse here. Machiavelli is not simply rejecting Greek or Christian teaching as he would have received it in his youth. Rather, he's pointing to what he takes to be a weakness in that teaching. And he might say this as follows. If I aim to live my life in accordance with the virtues of justice and temperance and prudence, I run the risk of being taken advantage of by unscrupulous men and women who do not care about practicing such virtuous activity in their lives. And if I don't want to run afoul of unscrupulous persons, if I want to be able to make my way in the world, if I want to be able to acquire power and maintain it and use it effectively, I might have to do the opposite of what all of us have been taught we ought to do from childhood. So we can see here, using this example, a, an important and fundamental difference between Machiavelli's teaching and the teaching of those who came before him. Whereas for the Christian, let's say, the purpose of human life is to be good, to become good, to become happy, the purpose of life for Machiavelli is to be able to get what I want, okay? I am not supposed to live up to some abstract standard of goodness that is set before me by nature or by God. There aren't any such standards according to Machiavelli. Rather, I should aim to live my life in accord with whatever standards, whatever concepts I choose to live by. And in order to do that, in order to fulfill my desires and make my way in the world, I may have to act in ways that a Christian, for example, would traditionally think of as vicious. Now, if this is true of my life as an individual, it will also be true of our lives as we live them together in community with one another. What is it that a political leader ought to do? Well, whereas St. Thomas Aquinas might say that a political leader ought to work to bring about the common good of his people, we've already seen that Machiavelli rejects such a concept. So unsurprisingly, we see Machiavelli teaching his readers, teaching his followers, that a political leader, the prince of his title, needs to do whatever is necessary in order to acquire and maintain power and influence. That is the ultimate object of he who wields political power. 
By way of example, I'm going to turn to one of Machiavelli's own favorite stories, the story of a man named Cesare Borgia. To make a very long story short, Cesare acquires a new territory, and he realizes that he is going to have difficulty bringing the people who occupy that territory under his control. So what does he decide to do? Well, Cesare hires somebody to do his dirty work, a mercenary of sorts. And this mercenary goes in to the newly acquired territory and he uses very severe, very strong, and very violent means to bring the people to obey. Now, after he has done this, the people are understandably upset. They are angry for the actions that have been visited upon them. So, Cesare, like a good Machiavellian political leader, rides in, and instead of thanking his mercenary, instead of praising him for the good work that he did, he instead beheads him and sticks his head on a pike for all to see in the town square. Cesare says, these things that have been done to you have not been done to you because of me, but because of this evil man. And now I have taken care of him for you, and you should praise me for that. Here we see in this story my theme of appearance versus reality. What is real? What is the truth? The truth is that these violent actions were undertaken at Cesare Borgia's own initiative. However, he gives the appearance of not being one who is severe and violent, but rather a leader who rescues his people from severity and violence. He appears to do one thing, but in reality, he does something else. This is the essence of political leadership for Machiavelli. So I would like to illustrate that with a quote, one of the most famous passages from Machiavelli's treatise, The Prince. He says the following, quote, for a man who wants to make a profession of good in all regards must come to ruin among so many who are not good. Hence, it is necessary to a prince, if he wants to maintain himself, to learn to be able not to be good and to use this and not use it according to necessity. This quotation, this very famous passage from The Prince, I think does a nice job of summing up many of the points that I have been making. If we as individuals, or if we as a community of persons, seek to do the good thing, as that has been taught to us by our parents, by our teachers, by our pastors, we risk, as Machiavelli says, coming to ruin, being undone by so many who are not good. So rather than aspire to this lofty ideal standard 
that very few people are capable of meeting, that very few people care about, we must instead lower our sights and deal with human beings as they really are. This is another way that I often present this material to my students. When they read the great political philosophers of ancient Greece or of medieval Christendom, we can understand those thinkers as teaching men about what they ought to do, what they ought to strive for, what they should aspire to. Machiavelli instead wants to shift our focus. Instead of speaking of that which we should aspire to be, instead of speaking of that which we ought to be, Machiavelli says all we have is man, human beings as they are, as we see them in the flesh with all of the vices and problems that come with that. And rather than trying to transform these men into something better, we need to simply be able to work with them as they are. This is the key insight of Machiavelli's political philosophy. He looks back at the ancient Greek world, he looks back at the world of medieval Christendom, and he sees philosophers and theologians and political writers who, in his opinion, are asking too much of human beings. These folks, according to Machiavelli, are asking human beings to live their lives in ways that seem to him superhuman. Rather than do that, Machiavelli thinks that we will be successful in the world, that a leader or a political ruler will be successful if instead he takes and works with men, not as he wishes them to be, but as they actually are. And according to Machiavelli, this is the mistake that political philosophy has made for most of the two millennia before he is writing. So in the few minutes I have left, I would just like to sum up. Machiavelli's teaching about human nature and about politics is important for a 21st century audience for the following reasons. No matter where we may live, no matter what political ideology we may ascribe to, we see the world around us today rejecting the idea that human beings ought to strive to hold themselves to a particular standard of virtue and goodness. Most of the world sees those things as something that is unrealistic, something that is unattainable. Instead, whether we realize it or not, 500 years later, we have inherited the lessons of Machiavelli. We seek, instead of transforming man, to work with him as he is, to get down so often into the mud and into the dirt, trying to work with fallen human nature as we find it. This is what Machiavelli says 
that human beings and political leaders have to do. But as I began this talk, I pointed to an older tradition which thinks that Machiavelli may be moving too fast. It is certainly more difficult to aspire to standards of virtue and right conduct than it is to simply take men with all of their desires and passions and interests as they are. But just because it is more difficult to live in this way doesn't mean that it is wrong to live in this way. Machiavelli shows us what happens to human life, what happens to political life when we reject standards of virtue and goodness and happiness, and whether he intended to or not, he sounds a warning for what happens when we reject those standards. So I thank you for joining me this afternoon. If you are interested in more information about the Principles Project here at Christendom, I encourage you to check out our website, www.gitprinciples.com. And for any questions that you may have, feel free to reach out by email at principles at Thank you for joining us and God bless.